Are you interested in original art made by an independent artist? Looking to buy a personalized battle vest with hand-stitched patches? Well, look no further. M. Cruz is an artist based in Southern California that creates pieces inspired by horror, punk, and DIY ethics. You can find $3.50 zines, $15 limited edition prints, and more over at depop.com slash angryratclub. You can also find M. on Instagram at wiltgram. That's at W-I-L-T-G-R-A-H-A-M. A big thank you to Punks and Pubs for granting us this platform. Welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird and happy fucking new year to you all. I hope you're all well. I hope you had a fantastic festive period and you're ready to kick off 2020 with a smile and a bit of a strut. Very excited about episode 49, but I want to very quickly talk about episode 50. A fucking milestone for me. I never thought in a million years I would actually make 10 of these episodes. Never mind fucking 50. So for our 50th episode, we will be revealing a very special live event that will be happening in London. I can't say much more than that right now. Uh, But make sure you listen to episode 50 to find out what we will be doing. Or also follow Punks and Pubs at Punks and Pubs on Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook. Trust me, it will be a laugh and hopefully you can be involved and uh, be a part of the show. Anyway, let's talk about episode 49 where I sat down at the world-famous World's End Pub in Camden and spoke to... Freddie fucking Madball, lead of the hell hardcore band, obviously, Madball. Uh, Freddie's not called Freddie Madball. He has a last name. I will just fuck it up, so I'm just going to call him Freddie Madball. I have to say that Freddie is probably one of the most charming people I've ever met. He bought me a beer straight away, and that's all it takes for me to really like you. Uh, and um, he was just really engaging. No question was off limit, so thank you to him. Uh, we had a good hour and a bit conversation. So what can you expect from now, chat? Well, we talk about nerves and performing in Madball as well as uh, when he goes and performs uh, as a rapper in his hip-hop group. Freddie also talks about his disdain for the tough guy image that is labelled on him as well as the band and uh, he also talks about uh, the elitist attitude that hides in hardcore and punk. I asked Freddie if some of the crazy stories about Madball on tour were true aka having a shit ton of guns in his tour van Uh, we of course talk about the early years of freddy growing up going to new york to be with his brother roger who is the frontman of the true punk godfathers agonistic front i asked freddy if he ever felt like he was ever taken advantage of at an early age when he was doing madball you'll find out in this interview but freddy started going on stage at a very early age at af shows and that led to madball i think he was touring when he was about 15 so that's why i kind of asked that question also we kind of talked about madball's time at epitaph and what went wrong Freddie also gets a few things off his chest in regards to Roadrunner and his ex-drummer and now Slipknot drummer and ex-drummer and now Slipknot drummer Jay Weinberg. I think it's Weinberg, Weinberg or Weinberg, I'm not sure. As you all know, I'll fuck up a name as best as anyone. Uh, As I said, this interview was recorded at the World's End Pub in Camden and if you've never been there, uh, this pub is quite uh, bouncy, let's say. Uh, it's a pub that's directly above the Underworld venue that Mad Ball was playing that night. So the pub was packed and it was loud. So at times you might hear me shouting across to Freddy to ask him a question. Apologies, but the podcast is called Punks in Pub. So what the fuck do you expect? I'll be back for a very rapid bye-bye. But let's crack on with the first episode of 2020. So where you come in is me and Freddy are talking about... Uh, Brooklyn Lager, Brooklyn Beer, because Freddie have just finished doing an interview uh, with someone from Brooklyn Beer because I think they were sponsoring the Madball uh, tour. So anyway, this is episode 49 with myself and Freddie. Enjoy. I'll be back in a sec. We don't fake it. We just take it. Get it on. 
Spoke to now? Are they are they from Brooklyn? No, they're uh, from here. Oh right, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. I mean like from the brewery. The Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, they're somehow connected with the with the yeah with the Brooklyn thing. Yeah. Because Brooklyn, what Brooklyn. I loved about that was that you were talking about Brooklyn beer, yeah. but not drinking their beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the most punk. But you thing. know why I've been drinking? I've been drinking their beer the whole time I've been here, so yeah. I need to change it up a bit. It's a bit gassy. <laughs> Brooklyn beer is a bit gassy. The Brooklyn yeah. Lager is actually funny enough. It's a beer that I've had a lot of yeah. before I ever even did this. I used yeah. to, I would buy it actually in my house. Um, it's it's a de- very decent American beer. It really is. It's a good beer. Yeah, it's, it's quality. Not, I mean, I'm British, yeah. right? We can't yeah. shit on beer at yeah. all. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, we might uh, as well. But might, yeah, no. Today I'm doing a Camden Hell because yeah, it's that kind of day. When in Rome? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Uh, we might as well start off like this then. So uh, the voice you can hear there is uh, Freddie from Mabel. How right. are you, my friends? I'm good. I'm good. How's things? I'm well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always funny when you start these kind of podcasts where about you pretend to know each other but you right. don't know anything yeah, about yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, but that's all right. Yeah. I get the vibe like I like like we, we'll be all right. Hopefully we'll be, yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll be all right. I mean, we've got like 30 years of hardcore punk madball to talk about and we're not going to fit into this podcast. So let's be oh, realistic, probably. man. No, most likely not. So let's kind of kick it off with, I know you're a big hip hop head. I know, Absolutely. So... Was there a point where perhaps you could have gone the Beastie Boy route at the early stages and gone, I'm leaving hardcore, leaving punk, I'm going to go hip-hop? <laughs> I <on."> should have. <laughs> um, for my family's sake, maybe I should have. <laughs> um, like, were you spitting bars before you were, like, shouting into a mic? Well, no, no I mean, like, in the... Se- I mean, I've been a fan of, of hip-hop since I was a little kid, you know, as long as I've been into hardcore. Yeah. So I was shouting bars as far as, like... You know, singing what's on these records, like Beastie Boy records or whatever else I was listening to, all Cool J, Dougie Fresh, whatever it was, whatever I was listening to. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was like writing rhymes or like battling people or anything like that. No, no, I wasn't doing that. I, I, I actually recorded hip hop sort of late in the game, you know, like after doing hardcore for a bu- so many years. I finally decided to record some hip-hop but it I, w- I would say that it is something that I thought about for years before yeah. I actually did it I did consider it yes so what I was did. so what was holding you back then was it the fear of trying something new I don't know what was holding me back I think I just was going with the flow of Madball at, the, at those times you know it was like um, it's like with anything it's like uh, you know Madball was always first priority I mean I I, I gave up many jobs many different things to do this band yeah um, once we started doing this band seriously it sort of just yeah became like the priority and um, I don't know I guess I never found the time or I don't know I don't know why it took so long for me to finally do a, a hip hop thing um, or even a different project like with Hazen Street that I did that, that's a different project I did as well um, yeah, I don't know. I was just riding the. I was on the. I was on the Madball train, you know, just trying to get this. You know, get it going. To get it going, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. So the time that you kind of stepped out on stage and it wasn't with Madball, and like you, you kind of had to rhyme. Were, were you feeling like that? Those butterflies, like Terrible. you were when you were younger. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Way more. Way more fearful than ever I've ever been with Madball, and and, and mind you, I have had butterflies and stuff with Madball, like. Um, just like certain shows doesn't even necessarily have to be a massive show or it's just could be a small place but like some some shows just sometimes you get a little nerved up Mm. as we say um and festivals like certain big festivals that you know that's like obvious why that would be you know because it's like it's not your you're about to step out into this yeah, are they going to like us? Do they understand what hardcore is? Like, <laughs> and then when they do, it's awesome. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, man, like when we did uh, like the Limbiscuit Corn Tour out here in England, 
that was nerve-wracking every night. Mm. Because even more so than a festival, because a festival by now, at least in mainland, anywhere in mainland Europe, like Germany, any of those places, there's going to be a contingency of like hardcore people, people that know what's up. But I didn't know if there would be that at some of these shows. And I'm like, I don't know, we're going to get booed? Like, what's going to happen, yeah. you know? And so you just come out and do what you do and hope for the best. <laughs> Sometimes the nerves are good. Yeah, definitely. I think if you don't have the nerves, yeah. then something is, you, you kind of rested on your lungs Something's a off. Bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something's off. Yeah. But with the hip-hop, to get back to that, oh my God, the first time I did that live, I mean, I still don't have my bearings doing it live. Mm. I feel like I've gotten, I'm getting a little bit better studio-wise and writing-wise, but live-wise, I still haven't done enough to feel comfortable. I'm it's, not there yet. It's quite naked, though, isn't it? Because it's just naked. you and the mic, and that is it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Brutal. Mm. You know, because with hardcore, there's that wall of sound and, like, that energy that comes with it. Hip-hop's a different energy, man. And it's like you said, if it's just my DJ and me, I don't feel dry. I don't feel Mike playing the drums behind me. There's no, you know, bass booming. It's like, oof. Yeah, you know? no, no one's stepping in to save you. You're on your no, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, man. Yeah. And I've fallen on my face already a couple of times with the hip-hop stuff i've forgotten words i've it, it, it's, it's a learning experience man mm. keeps you humble man it's, it's like <laughs> it keeps you on your toes i guess you know so clearly music different musical influences have, have kind of integrated into your life so growing up I, I know your mother was from cuba like were you surrounded by music growing up was it different kind of sounds or was it one particular genre of music that was always playing different sounds i would say from coming from my mother and my father it was latin sounds um because my mother like my mom like you said is from cuba my dad is from colombia okay yeah, yeah. and so they essentially mostly listen to latin music you know mm be it salsa or merengue or you know old school music from cuba song you know uh, all these different flavors of so that was a staple thing in my house yeah. always always then i have older siblings that are at least you know eight nine ten years older than me they almost secondary parents to me at times you know yeah, yeah. and they all had different tastes in music every every everyone everything from hip-hop to rock and roll to uh, when my brother put me on the hardcore and mm. punk and all that, obviously, um, you know. But like my other brother would be listening to classic rock and then be listening to hip hop and be and we listen to freestyle. My sister would listen to freestyle, which is like this. I don't know how I could explain freestyle music, but like Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam, like that kind of okay. Stevie B, like all these kind of people. It's like this. I wouldn't say it's disco. It's just kind of this. I don't know. You got to look it up. Google it. Freestyle. <laughs> But um, and when I say freestyle, I don't mean freestyle rapping. It's 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 a whole other genre. But yeah, I just had all these things in my house, man. Yeah, so eclectic. So, so what was it about hardcore that stuck with you, like musically, not at live shows, but like the first time you heard it from a record from your brother? Like, was it just the anger? That it was like yeah. so fast, and you like, fuck, what is this? This is amazing. I need to know more. I think it was a double. Uh, it was a, it was two things for me. I think it was. The fact that it was my brother, you know, when you have an older sibling, you know, my brother's like 11 years older than me, you know, so like you always look up to your older brother and then and, and, and the fact that, oh, you know, you recorded music. Wow, that's crazy. You know, you want to support your family no matter what kind of music it is. But, you know, then, you know, I could either choose to like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could play it and I could be like, this is kind of shit, you know, yeah. but I liked it. I think people yeah. by now will probably discover it's no secret that your brother is is the singer of Agnostic Front. Yeah, Roger. Like, if, you, if you're listening yeah. to this, and you don't know that yet. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But you right, kind of. I guess I didn't. I didn't even. Yeah. I, I naturally assume that everyone, <laughs> everyone knows. knows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But some people may not. Exactly. But yes, my brother Roger from Agnostic Front. And you know, mind you, this was when Agnostic Front was in its early phases. Mm. You know, when I got put on to hardcore and stuff. You know, he was in. He was just. You know, a young guy starting up in Agnostic Front yeah. and pioneering a scene, you know? Exactly. It's funny you say that because I think it's very, very rare for people to be able to actually witness a scene 
be born. Right. Like no one really gets to see that, and right. you and your brother were the forefront of that. You saw that happening, right? And that is very special for me. I mean, you might see it as kind of like, well, yeah, it happened. But I think for people standing back, right, who love hardcore and go, you fucking witness like yeah. those shows, those early shows, yeah. and they're kind of like built up now in a legendary status. Yeah. Looking back, can can you appreciate what was happening? I, or, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate it more than ever now. I mean it. It's like you said, you know, when you're living it, you kind of just like, hey, this is cool, you know, you don't know what's going on. And obviously, you know, there was there were there was hardcore prior to me getting into it, but not very not very much. I mean, like, you know, if I got put onto Agnostic Front say 82, 83, the scene was only a few years old at best. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't say hardcore was around in the 60s. You know, it was around the late very very end of the 70s at best I suppose Bad Brains doing like Bad DC yeah, yeah, I would yeah. give them the credit yeah. you know 79 or something whatever it is you know so, you know, I would say okay you can credit them with kind of you know being the one of the originators and uh, but it doesn't get much older than that so let's say the scene was just literally a couple of years old few years old and in New York New York wasn't the oldest scene you know New York kind of came after D.C. and after the West Coast you know New York weren't exactly the first I mean New York changed the game completely but they weren't the first scene but yeah to, to answer your question when I look back on it all, it was very cool to be a fly on the wall of, of sorts, watching that stuff, and then now thinking back at what I experienced, it's very cool. Your brother was living in New York, and you were living down in Florida. That's right. So, a how, that's a long distance to be traveling back and forth. Uh, like, were you busing it, or were you were your parents pushing you in a yeah. flight, or what were you it doing? It all depends, I guess. I had family. I was born in New Jersey, so I had a lot of family in New Jersey. Yeah. That's kind of the first place my my family lived in America. Like when both my parents came from their countries, they met up in New Jersey. And so that well-known city of love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and then that's where I was born. So, but my my brothers, you know, they were all born in Cuba. My older siblings, they were all born in Cuba. But so I'm like first generation, I guess, American. All my siblings, my parents, all born out of the country. But uh, yeah, that's where they first went. But then my family wanted to go to Florida. My grandfather moved to Florida. My dad wanted to follow in his footsteps, and he didn't like the cold, and so we went down there. Roger stayed in New York. Mm. And um, but we had a lot of family in, in, in that in the New Jersey area, uncles and aunts, and so part of the reason I would be able to go to New York so much is I would kind of go and visit my aunts and uncles in New Jersey, and then my brother Roger would come and scoop me up. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was kind of like a segue thing, you know? Like I'd be like, oh, all right, I'm gonna go see my cousins and my aunt, and for the summer, yeah he'd come and scoop me up and bring me to the city to the Lower East Side where they were like living on the streets panhandling doing crazy shit yeah because New York was not like New York now it was wild early 80s New York think about it just open up a book (laughs) Google it yeah Google exactly Giuliani hasn't got his grubby little fingers in there no nothing it was a wild place yeah yeah. So were you making that trip on your own then? Like, or were your family coming I, to pick I, I you up and go? I would say that maybe at one point, like, I think, I, I want to say, like, I, I can remember my mom traveling with me a couple of times, but that, I do remember flying alone. Mm. 
Oh, and you're buying, no busing. And, and busing it as well. I've done both. Yeah. I've done both. La Cubana. Because <laughs> busing it is a trip on your own. Like, you meet oh, so God. many characters. Oh, God. And it's the fun. Like, I hate the bus. Yeah. I would walk, rather yeah. walk yeah. than get the bus. Yeah. So I can only presume going from Florida. I've busted it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With, but with my mom when I was little, because you don't, you can't really bus it on your own. I don't think that's even legal. <laughs> I don't think you can go on a bus. Yeah. It's too wild. Yeah. Too many stops, too many different people getting on and off. Too too dangerous. So I can remember busing it with my mom. Hmm. I flew I flew alone a bunch of times. Or like if my brother came down through Florida, yeah. he like brought me back up with him. Jump on the bus. And, and then I go yeah, up the yeah, coast. Yeah. So. so making that so you were going to New York surrounded by this hardcore punk family that you were creating. And then you're having to come back to Florida to school. Yeah. How was that? Were you quite happy doing those like transitions, or were you like happy coming back to school? school Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was not happy when I would come home. I always wanted to stay in New York. Yeah. Which ultimately that's why I moved there, but permanently. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, what's cooler? Running around New York. Doing whatever you want, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and seeing cool shows and seeing cool people, or being in the regimented, you know, um, not saying that you know school is necessarily bad because school can be a great experience. It's what you make of it. I, for me, it wasn't because of the people, the teachers I was surrounded by. They weren't any good, and maybe where I lived, it just wasn't a great school system, and it just. Just wasn't the best experience for me personally. You know, I think if you can find things that you like about school, sports, something that you know, school could be great. Yeah, I was bummed out every time I had to come back from. I mean, who who's not though? When it's like your break's over and you got to go back to regular life, you're kind of yeah. like, ugh. But were you telling like your friends, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to New York. I know this lifestyle about punk, hardcore. Yeah, that's a like, good you know that's nothing a question. about this. That's and- a great question. I did. I. I, I I actually found some pictures recently of me and my... I had a group of friends that were like my buddies, you know? And like one of them's wearing an agnostic front shirt that I obviously gave them, you know? And it's this like gnarly shirt with like bodies hanging from it. It's like crazy. It was like one of their metal shirts that they did where it was like all these corpses hanging from hooks. It's like, it like wild. Cause for alarm days, I think. It was fun. I started laughing because I, I see my boy David with this shirt on and I'm like this is this is hilarious um, and my boy David was of Jamaican descent okay you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. so here's this Jamaican cat with the with a, a, a Nazi front <laughs> with corpses hanging from the shirt um, not, not that it should matter anyway but I, I had a very I have a very mixed group of friends man that was one thing that was, was cool about Florida like my first best friend David he was Jamaican his dad was rough mm. I thought my dad was rough I think they they had they they're both pretty rough, equally rough. Bustling it out, who'd be, be the, yeah, roughest, would be the roughest? I was scared of his dad, and I think he was equally scared of my dad. Um, he was my buddy, you know. And then I had a few groups of friends, you know, all different backgrounds, man. Everything from, you know, Jamaican ancestry to, like, you know, Colombian kids to white kids mixed with Native American. It, 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 I, I will say that, I, that I, I've always had a, a very mixed, eclectic group of friends, which I'm grateful for, even down there, you know. It, it, um, but yeah, I would tell them stories. Yeah. And, and they'd bug out on it, you know. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. You know? I mean, how many how many people have got like a brother who's fucking starting a scene in yeah. New York, you know? It's a cool story it's to come wild. back and say, yeah. It's wild. Some stories would even be hard to believe unless you really knew it or lived it. You yeah. Know? So when you kind of left your family in Florida, like your your friend's family, and moving to your family in New York, right? Was that difficult? Because did you feel like you were leaving them behind? Did you like I'm never coming back? Like I've already made a decision. Never coming. I, I, it was the least difficult thing I've ever done in my life. I was like counting. You know, ever since I was a little kid, I was like, I think subconsciously counting the days. Yeah. Before I would make that move, and then I finally did. And my brother vouched for me, and uh, we arranged the whole thing. And I went to go live in a squat with him. It's where, it's where I first lived, in the city, in a squat that he had on 10th Street, BNC, and in Alphabet City. And, uh, yeah, I was my dream. <laughs> it wasn't even necessarily to do music, I'll be quite honest. Yeah. I didn't go there with the ambition, you know, to do Madball necessarily. I just wanted to be in New York. I wanted that energy. Yeah. You know, for whatever reasons, you know, I just felt like I connected more with what was happening up there as opposed to what I was doing in Florida, which 
you know, I was kind of being a derelict, skipping school bunch. I wasn't up to any good. Yeah. I had stopped playing football. So I used to play soccer, football. I kind of had stopped playing that. I had gotten suspended from a league and long story, but it's kind of over it. Mm. I just wanted to, I, I, I was like waiting and finally finally made it to New York. Because it's well known that you used to go to shows with your brother, you used to go on stage, you used to sing and bounce around. Like, what, the moment, the, before all that, before your brother handed you the mic, yeah. were you itching to get on stage? Were you itching to hold that mic? I don't know how, I, I don't know, I, I want to answer as truthfully as I can. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's a long time ago. It, it's a long time ago. Someone's just got glass. Yeah, it's a glass. I mean, we are, I mean, this pub we're, we're you know we're in a pub it's yeah, part of the whole deal right <laughs> i mean it's in a pub you know what i mean it's someone's like, gonna get glass someone's yeah. getting cut man as long as I don't just don't throw it in my direction <laughs> I've, I've already been stabbed with glass before in my life i don't need it again um maybe i was you know uh, i guess the whole reason why they kind of handed me the mic is because they sort of saw me rocking back and yeah, forth yeah, yeah. rocking back and forth and singing some words and kind of like wanting to do it without saying it mm. and I think actually Vinny might have been the first one to take notice of that and then he like nudged my brother and was like look at the kid look you know kind of like I think he's raring to go like yeah. he's itching to go you know and like my brother was like here and that's how it happened so maybe like yeah I was but I, I never asked them to do it I just happened you know by the way Vinny, I think, I don't know why no one's done this yet, but someone should get Vinny to do a documentary about how New about York Vinny. used to be. Because <laughs> he's like, what do you do? What do you do? I know, I do. What do you do for a living? I know, I know. I need to get it. I need to get it done. I need to get it done. I can arrange it. You should be the one to do it. I want it. I want it. I just want Vinny to go around New York and go, that's fucking shit. And then just go each it's place. It's a great concept. And I think it would be awesome. I think it'd be so fun. And there's no better person that I can think of. No more qualified person than Vinny. Yeah. Cause he still lives in the place he's lived his mm. whole life. Well, yeah, I, I, I recently watched a documentary, uh, Godfather's a hardcore. And like you see him living still in the same apartment. And he points out the places where these famous people live and he's walking around and you just see like he still believes in the community aspect of New York. Yeah. Which has yeah. disappeared massively now. Yeah. It, it, it's changed. You know, he, luckily he still has the community of hardcore, mm. which is a big thing, you know, to kind of keep things intact. But yeah, the neighborhood thing and a lot of things have changed yeah, in New York. Yeah. So at what point did you go... I'm seeing my brother. I'm seeing him do this. I've got a mic. I've played around on the stage a little bit. I'm going to go at it. I'm, I'm going to proper throw myself at this. Like, <laughs> was, was there a point or was he just kind of found yourself doing it? Just kind of found myself doing it. I mean, the only time I, I think I could remember going like, okay, we're going to really do this was after the second EP, Dropping Many Suckers. But I was older by then. So that's know? the one that you did where basically it's your own music, not Agnostic Front's lyrics. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it was not my own per se, but it was for Madball. It wasn't from Agnostic Front, you know. Um, me and my brother Roger had a bunch of lyrics and I used those. And But by then, Matt Henderson was writing, but for, for this Madball thing with my brother and Will Shepler was involved and so yeah it was the first thing that was not like a bunch of old agnostic front songs yeah, basically yeah, yeah. yeah and that was the only other that was the only time that I could really recall saying to myself AF brought us on tour in Europe in 92 93 something like that and uh, right when that EP came out and yeah we did a whole tour opening up for agnostic front you know, maybe thirty some odd shows. You know, and uh, that was when I said, "Hey, maybe we, maybe we should, cons- you know, maybe I should consider like doing this." Yeah. So, yeah. Were, you, were you seeking the advice of Vinny and and your brother, and like, what's the way to go to do this? Or was your brother's mentality of, if you're going to do this, do this on your own two feet, do it off your own coattails? Like, don't don't follow me, go out alone. I'll help you where I can, but this is your deal. I always felt like he was kind of doing it as a transitional thing for me like you know he was playing bass yeah and then by the second seven inch he was still playing bass but I don't know that I always envisioned him being the bass player for Madball you know what I mean like I feel like I kind of knew he was gonna like move on yeah. but I 
for sure knew that like Vinny and Maddie and those guys wanted to do something with me. Not that my brother didn't. I just think that he was leaving music altogether around that time. I mean, literally, Agnostic Front stopped playing. He went to go to like Harley Mechanic School. And he was literally like on his way out of music. He was done. Yeah. And so it kind of went hand in hand. It was like kind of like, yeah, this I'm just going to like get it going for you. And then like, I know, but I feel like maybe he was even doing it for the other guys as well. Mm. Vinny and Will and Matt, because it also gave them something else. If he leaves, well, go ahead and go with my brother and do yeah, this yeah. other band. Yeah. So it was kind of like that kind of deal, you know? Because I suppose being the front man of a, of a band, there is a lot of pressure on yourself to, like, if you're not doing it, because most of the times the front guy is the guy of the band, right. usually. Yeah. So I suppose if he goes, I'm stepping back, that's, yeah. that's, that's money out of people's pockets. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. So the moment that you didn't have Vinny or you didn't have your brother in the band, was that weird for you? Because like, then you are on your own. You're you're now like you. Yeah. You're the face of Madball. No one else. It's you. It's your bands. It was a little weird, but like again, there was like that transitional thing that went on, where like Maddie was still there and like Willie was always with me from the beginning. So, and Vinny stayed with us until like he hung around for like a bunch of years. I mean, there was a time when he wasn't even playing. <laughs> No, I don't mean on stage. I mean, yeah. like, he he wasn't playing on stage. Yeah, I mean, he he was just hanging out with us. Yeah, yeah Like, yeah. he was not setting up his guitar or anything. He was just, like, as a roadie or, like, as a, a mascot of sorts. <laughs> so, you're like, you know, Vinny was kind of in the mix for a while. Yeah. Um, do, do, you know, do you know the band um, Happy Mondays? And they've got Bez. Uh-huh. And he's just a dancer. Okay. And, and he just started just he came on stage one time yeah. danced with the band right. and then this 20 years later he's still there just dancing with the band yeah was that what Vinny was just the guy in the corner <laughs> kind of just fucking going at it he, maybe not yeah maybe in the, but on the side maybe yeah, not yeah, so yeah. much on the stage no but Vinny's always been a big supporter of Madball mm. you know like right from the beginning he was like encouraging me and just like there supporting yeah. it still to this day like whenever you see Vinny he's a, lo- a lot of times he's wearing a Madball shirt <laughs> you know and it's like I love that yeah. you know it's like he you know it's cool it's a cool thing um, but yeah I mean you know it, it was all transitional so it was never a moment where I was like oh my god I'm all alone because it was always I was always surrounded by friends and like people that were doing it with me like after you know Hoya came in he was my friend before he played bass and then he came in as a bass player but he was already my friend mm. and then Maddie was there and he'd been with me for years and Willie and so I always had family around basically such a young age do you think there were people who may have took, took advantage of you because of your age and probably pointed you like gave you bad advice I'm sure of it I'm sure I got bad advice here and there you know we were all probably taken advantage of on the business side of things in the uh, in the beginning yeah. you know uh, Madball Agnostic Front many bands a long list of bands um we were all taken advantage of by certain label situations, you know. All of us signed bad contracts at one point or another, and like, you know, to benefit someone else. 
you know, and we're like surviving on scraps. That's like that that old story, you know. It's like been told by everyone in the music world. Yeah. You know, even people who are hugely successful, you know, have had that experience. So, in that regard, yeah. But we kind of didn't allow a lot of people to take advantage of us in other areas because we were just <laughs> fucking little thugs. <laughs> I mean, so we weren't going to be taking, you know, even like as simple things like catering, you know, like when we were one of the first bands, I feel like, on MAD. That's our booking agency yeah, yeah. in Germany. I feel like we were the one of the first ones to buck up about the treatment we were getting. And we weren't asking for a lot to begin with. You know, because this go this this is on the subject of being taken advantage yeah, of. Yeah. I feel like a lot of promoters early on took advantage of bands. I mean, it treated them really crappy, gave you the bare minimum, and meanwhile you're living on the road for a month, a month and a half, maybe two months. So you're relying on water, bread and water, and whatever else they'll give you. You know, yeah. especially in this hardcore thing. I suppose that's what, what's good about touring like Germany because they look after you there. Like they, they but they didn't you always. Up. You know, in the early, early, early days, you'd be playing these weird squats, and they're trying to feed you Krishna food. I have no problem with Krishna or their food, but that might that's, that's not, I don't want that right now. You know, <laughs> that's not what I want. Yeah. You know, just give me a piece of half a chicken and something, and I'll shut my mouth. <laughs> you know, what I mean? give me some fries and a half a chicken, and I'll yeah. keep my mouth shut. But don't feed me stuff that I don't want to eat or don't give me stuff that you're getting for free to save yourself a buck. Yeah. You're not giving me any more money. Mm. That kind of stuff, those kind of things, I feel like we caused chaos <laughs> behind those kind of things. Yeah. And it wasn't even on some, like, we're, you know, rock stars or snobby. No, we're talking about bare-bones stuff here. Yeah. We're not talking about, like, Hey, we didn't get that champagne we requested. No, we're talking about basic stuff. Yeah. Well, well I kind of this kind of leads onto that question, but it is a bit of a sidestep. Um, the idea of like the elitist aspect of hardcore. So there's like the youth crew who were, who were very much talking about like we are straight edge, no sex, no drugs, uh, no permissible sex or whatever. And then you've got bands like yourself who are from the street. Yeah, yeah. And when you play a show together, did you feel like there were that kind of snobbiness that they thought they thought they were better than you? I didn't play a ton of shows with like that youth crew movement back in the days. Like that was more like AF played like headlined a lot of shows that were like Gorilla Biscuits would open or took an entry or uh, Youth of Today and uh, all these all that whole that whole scene. Yeah. Um, but I don't feel like... I feel like all those guys were, like, fans of, like, Agnostic Front and Chromax and stuff. So, like, I feel like there was always a respect there. Mm. Um, I don't know when it happened that this whole elitist thing happened, but it did happen. At one point, the straight-edge scene turned into this sort of elitist kind of scene. Mm. I don't know that I experienced it a whole lot, personally, with Madball. But, you know, from watching shows and stuff like that, I mean, I guess... I don't know. I don't know, though, because in New York, a lot of people mingled and mixed, you know, like, you'd, you know, you'd be there, there'd be a, you know, a half a punk dude hanging out with this clean cut straight edge kid and they'd be chatting because they knew each other from wherever. It's like, I feel like there was a lot of uh, camaraderie in New York, yeah. you know, um, I'm trying to think of a specific time, maybe way late, way late in the 80s into the 90s, maybe yeah. there was a specific time where like, they kind of were like, ugh. I mean, I know we definitely got, as Madball, we definitely got that stigma of being uh, tough guys or, like, thuggish or... You know, I know yeah. we got that. And I definitely felt that from people. Not just straight edge yeah. dudes. Like, in general, like, from the industry, from random certain bands. Bands that you thought would... That you... That would help you out that'd be scared to bring you on tour but I think that came from like a <laughs> yeah. lot of tales though about Madball because there was yeah. that kind of um, uh, like whispers about what Madball were doing on tour like they, their, their van was full of uh, fucking guns or <laughs> they were glassing people for fucking no reason guns. just a couple <laughs> <laughs> there's like I think you had that like kind of Chinese whispers behind the bands yeah 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 there's a yeah yeah I mean look I'd be lying if I said you didn't glass it was all. It was all completely <laughs> false. Yeah. 
but you know some of it is ridiculous and far-fetched you know and you know there's rumors i've heard that i'm like are you kidding me you know there's rooms that i hear the rumors that i've heard that i've been disgusted like what do you you know come on man you know like we're a lot of things but not that you know what i mean like there's all kinds of things i've heard that i'm like oh man it's ridiculous you know were there things that there could be some truth to sure we were in a couple of scraps you know we might have had a couple of things in the car at one point you know we might have handled our business here and there you know all in all it's like i think that honestly we were we were given this kind of title this thing which i hate this whole tough guy title like i hate that like we're just a hardcore band man like if i stick up for myself and you know like now all of a sudden you want to call me whatever but it's like we're not trying to like puff our chests out or like be tough guys it's like we're just being who we are you well, know our, new york hardcore is a tougher kind of hardcore scene yeah. in general because people came up a certain way like i don't know where this whole subtitle of this subgenre thing of like tough guy like that uh, just hearing that annoys me you know we're hardcore man if you treated us with respect you got it back and then some For a lot of people, set it off was probably their entry into Madball. I know it was for me in '94, and it just happened to be around a time when, like, No Effects, Bad Religion, Offspring, or like, yeah. it blowing up oh massively. My God. Yeah. We, we, did you find that Madball kind of could run on that coattails like that? That no. kind of in no, never, <laughs> no. no. Like, were you been invited yeah. to support? No. Or were you no, never. <laughs> We've only now in our lives, you know, now this late in the game. Which, hey, it's just fine. Which is fine. You know, we're still in the game. We're still doing our thing. So that's fine. Yeah. But we're only, as of recently, really getting offers of, like, doing cool support stuff, which is great. It's awesome. But back in the days, in the early 90s, oh, my God, no one wanted to bring us on tour. And, like, those bands you speak of, they didn't give a crap about, you know. No? hardcore bands <laughs> but I, I, I think like because a lot of their music though was like it does it is inspired from the the, the bad brains the agnostic fronts yeah. like those oh, yeah. kind of that music oh there's a there. connection man we're all some sort in some way like kind of related a little bit mm. you know we're all like kind of distant cousins or whatever yeah and some people may know more than others you know um, I mean Sick of It All was a band that kind of really they made that transition they, they, they really yeah, yeah, yeah. tried to like seek that out yeah and they did do tours like that like they did no effect stuff or whatever you know they kind of you know they they were trying to spread out see what was around and Mm. I think some of those bands acknowledged them uh, for their efforts and like yeah they did they did get rewarded but we just I don't feel I feel like we were just never considered you know and it's a shame really because I think uh, I think some of those people would have maybe been into what we do you know but you know and and now it's proven now because now we'll tour with Rancid or something or like Suicidal or whatever Mm. and it's fine you know like we have a great time the people have a great time and it's like yeah, it's all good. I'm very aware of time. What time do you need to go on? Well, you tell me. I don't. I, don't, I, don't I mean, really I'm good. I'm good. I'm, yeah. I keep going, man. But yeah. it's, I'm still going to yeah, take no, a few more minutes. Will be all right. Yeah. I mean, I, I play at nine. It's seven forty. <laughs> keep going to the nine then. Yeah. No, no. Ninety-four to ninety-six. You're touring fucking ridiculously. Right. Like you're doing a lot of shows. And then Roadrunner come knocking. Roadrunner at that time had Machine Head on their label. 
Was that for you like, holy fuck, people actually taking notice? Or were you like, nah, who cares? Like, Roadrunner's Roadrunner. It's just another label. The Roadrunner thing happened with Howie Abrams. And Howie Abrams was an A&R Roadrunner. And he actually signed Madball when we did Ball of Destruction, the first release. Okay. He was working um, with In Effect, who released a couple of AF records, Killing Time, and then they released... Uh, Ball Destruction mm. and so he was familiar he was a part of our scene I mean he, he's in the metal and other stuff as well but he knew about our scene and I think he kind of always kept an eye on, on me and us and what we were doing so I would say that he was the one that kind of was like but I think that did happen because we started to you know we released something and we were starting to tour and we came to Europe and we started to do shows regionally so maybe we were making a little bit of noise like you said but how he came knocking you know and, and, and he's my boy you know we like knew him and I didn't really know Machine Head or any of those bands so like I wasn't impressed as far as like oh we're signing to a label with Metallica like I didn't think of it like that because I didn't really know that scene when I heard it, I thought it was heavy and good. I mean, I thought that that, that early, uh, you know, that first Machine Head records, you know, you can't deny it. It's a, it's a solid record, you know. But I didn't know those bands, really. Um, I mean, I knew of Sepultura, and I liked Sepultura. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely knew that we were stepping into an arena that was bigger than our arena yeah and, and, and was <laughs> I definitely it, knew that and was it a game changer though for the band the fact Absolutely. that you've got this label who without a doubt it out. yeah yeah without a doubt did it make us blow up and hardcore blow up no but did it help put us on the map absolutely yeah Roadrunner was heavy you know they had a heavy presence in Europe and right then was you know when we dropped set it off we started coming to Europe and because of Roadrunner and because of the bands that they had, Machine Head and all the bands they had, we got to play festivals that a hardcore band would have never been able to get on. And that opened up a whole other door. Yeah. You know, that introduced a whole bunch of kids to hardcore. You know, even people that didn't know about, like, this whole generation before us, like AF and whoever else, you know? Yeah. It, it, you know that that 90s period you know when we were on roadrunner yeah it was crucial to like uh you know us being where we are now really and did they want to put it hold hold it down out or was it a case that epitaph just came in with a we left offer? the label by that point yeah um yes we left roadrunner <laughs> you know everybody likes to create their own stories i'll tell you the facts um and not that it was in a we just, we just knew it was like, ah, I think it's time for us to try something different. And they even said, you sure? <laughs> like, you sure you want to leave? Like, you know what we got? Are you sure you're doing the right We've got right my money. But we were, tied into, we were tied into weird contracts, and we were in a different place, and we were just like, we got to try and venture out and learn some more somewhere else, you know? And so we chose, and, I, you know, our deal was up. Well, not entirely up, but they ended up doing these best of things later on. So, like, we satisfied our contract, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, some may say it was a stupid move, but I think the label was headed in a different direction. And I felt like we kind of got there and got out at the right time because they were kind of heading in a like a rock direction. They were kind of going somewhere else. Yeah. And I feel like it wasn't our the place where we needed to be anymore. So you jumped to Epitaph. Like a label yes. that is yes. renowned, obviously. A punk label. A punk label. <laughs> yeah. How was but that? But you know, punk is, punk is related to hardcore, like yeah. I said. So you would think, hey, this be might happy. be a smart move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But maybe not. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's nothing that they did, really, to be quite honest. I mean, they took a chance on these New York guys that a lot of people weren't taking a chance on. Mm. I mean, there were other interests. Don't get me wrong. There were other people. Victory, I think, was interested in us. There were, And thankfully, we never went that route, but... Um, there was other interests, but yeah. Epitaph made the most sense at that moment. And, you know, but then uh, things just kind of went south from there because I got into a bit of trouble and unrelated to Madball, street stuff, and then we had a weird lineup, and then we kind of just called it, called it quits after that record. So 
I was going to say, so after that record and you like, I'm done. Were you, were you in your head? Were you like, I am literally fucking done. I, well, am, I, was I done. am wiping my I hands. I was done. I didn't yeah. even want to hear about hardcore. Yeah. Like I would like, you know, yeah, I, I was done. I remember being with my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. And I had met her and I had just met her. So I'm like courting her, you know, and, and like I'm like having a drink with her at the at the place where she worked, where I met her, Parlay. And some kid is like starts in with this hardcore stuff. I went from flattered to annoyed, you know, because it was like he, he was like, and she didn't really know, like put it to like yeah. she was she didn't care. Like my mind was so removed from Madball hardcore. But this kid was like, hey, man, Madball, he, he acknowledged who I was, which is flattering. I'm, I was, oh, cool, that's great, it's wonderful. But then I was kind of like, hey, I'm trying to hang out with my girl here, man. Like, beat it, you know? Mm. But I was so, like, I did not want to, I didn't want to know about Madball or, like, hardcore for a little while there. Um, I don't know. I, I was, I don't know. Just, it was a series of things that made me kind of, like, feel that way so why did you feel that I love the music don't get yeah. me wrong and I would go to shows but I just was turned off by doing doing the band I guess or something I don't know did you feel let down by the scene though like, did you feel like it's just become poisonous and there's no positivity or did you feel I needed I just needed time away like it's time out I needed time away yeah, yeah, yeah. the scene didn't really do anything to us is that what you said the yeah, scene yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the scene didn't necessarily we did we did ourselves in at that moment the scene didn't necessarily have anything to do with it. Um, if anything, they came to help out. I mean, when you know, there were some things where we had to raise some money and like people showed up, and so the scene was cool. Yeah, it was just us. We were going through personal things that we had to resolve. So one of those things that obviously happens in most bands is bands leave and bands come. But obviously, the the, the, the one that kind of blew up was uh, was um, Jay. Your, your ex-drummer um, who has had history in leaving bands so against me but you and Jay kind of got into quite a public spat and so did Laura <laughs> as well she started like making jokes about Jay as a drummer yeah, and being a bit yeah, of a Madonna yeah. looking back do you think fuck him fuck that guy I did it right or do you wish he kind of kept it in house oh god no <laughs> I, 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 oh my god no I did the right thing I don't care who he's playing with. I don't care if he plays the Rolling Stone. I don't. Good for him, man. Go, go do your thing. I mean, you know, I don't think that kid has ever had to want for anything, anyways. But is he a talented drummer? Absolutely. I got to give him his credit. He seemed like a nice enough kid who happened to be a fan of Madball, and I gave him a shot because we we needed a guy at that moment. But you know, it turns out we don't mesh. Yeah. You know, but the way he publicly was like lifestyle differences like what are you implying because people don't know they can't read between the lines so you're implying that what are you saying that we're doing some like weird stuff yeah like be specific if you're gonna say lifestyle no the lifestyle changes are you you might not want to ride in a van or hey we have a couple of beers here and there and that might not be what you do but like we're not like doing weird shit you know like don't say something so broad and like leave it to like people's imagination you know i thought he was just a you know he's a little jerk off you know and 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 he was and and he was you know it, it became apparent to us kind of early on but we kind of stomached it because we had to keep the band going and he was good so he was doing his job playing but we had to write a record so we had to kind of deal with it but towards the end there we kind of, we were already planning like um how we would, you know, move on. Do you think it was like a, <laughs> a social economic background as well, though? Like, you've come from like grafting, whereas he's come from a life of. I, I hope not. You know, like coming into it, like I honestly gave him the benefit of the doubt. Like, I don't care what money you. I don't care. I don't judge yeah. people by their background, rich or poor. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to judge you on your character. I'm going to judge you on how you interact with people, how you treat people, how you how you hang in our situation you know and I think we were very accommodating to him I mean I, I talked to his dad all the time like trying to like accommodate him and like make him feel comfortable and like 
You know, but just, his dad and go, do you know yeah, your son's yeah, a bit of a prick? Yeah, I'm talking to his dad. Like, I'm like, why am I talking to your dad, man? You know, like, you're a dude. Like, you're your own dude, right? But, like, I guess he was younger, but, like, still, you know, it's, like, kind of weird. But anyway, not to get all on that whole subject, but it was what it was, man. We just didn't mix, yeah. you know? You know, there were times when he was cool. You know, I tried to, like, get along with the kid and, like, include him. But he got too uh, big for his britches on in many areas, you know, even uh, on the business side of things. You know, he started to, uh, you know, inquire about things. That's like, hey, we're, we're a thing that's been around for 20 some odd years before you were, you know, even whatever. You know what I'm saying? So there's something, you know, you got to slow get get to, you know, you got to get somewhere slowly, you know, step by step, pal, you know, like. There's some things that you don't ask an already established band, you know, and like he was getting real loose with certain things in certain areas, and I'll leave it at that. But yeah, he he had to go, man. Oh my god, I actually regret just giving him a shot. Now I don't regret taking him out. I regret the fact that we ever even let him participate. <laughs> he is not Madball material in any way, shape, or form. I feel like you just let go a lot of stuff there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So let's just kind of start wrapping this up now. Um, just very quickly, I want to touch on something because we spoke about the documentary Godfathers of Hardcore and your brother, yeah. and it's a fantastic documentary. Yeah. And what I found interesting was that your brother is quite frank about the fact of talking about his own uh, depression yeah. and dealing with depression. Yeah. And I think it was quite, it was, it was refreshing to see someone. I know you don't like the term tough guy, but right. hardcore has that image. Yeah. So for him to step out and say, I am dealing with something of mental health. Like, I feel that was a big deal for any, but like just hardcore in general. Yeah, I that they can it. talk about that personally. Yourself, how do you find it? How do you find yourself like a space whereabouts you can release? Do you feel like because, like you said, your hardcore is your family? Do you feel comfortable enough to go over to your bandmate and go, "I'm the shit day, man." Like, can we yeah, talk about it? Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, end of the day, tough or tough guy or whatever you want to call it. I mean, we're humans and we go through things. And especially, you know, we're, we're older now and we have families. It's like we're in a different place than we were when we were, like, teenagers running around doing this. You know what I mean? But I could always lean on guys. I mean, I can remember getting anxiety and actually getting anxiety in, like, Japan somewhere. And, like, I never knew what it was. But it finally hit me in a way where it was physical. Yeah. And one of the guys that was playing with us at the time this guy Beto who was playing guitar at the time who was an old friend of Hoya's and blah 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 he was on the Hold It Down record he had been dealing with that so he knew immediately he's like yo man you're having what's called anxiety you know he's like I'm like oh that's a thing yeah. <laughs> and you know and I you know I had been drinking a bunch of days straight and, I, and you know and it just all came tumbling down but my point is you know, with Madball, we always surrounded ourselves with people that were like family. Matt Henderson, Will, boom, Hoy, of course. You know, so it's like, if you can't lean on your friends, who can you lean on? You know what I mean? So we always were open about that kind of stuff. We were never too tough or too hard to have a conversation with each other about things that may be going on at home, a, a breakup with a girlfriend or like a, a, a relative who died or, you know, we'd cry together, we'd eat together, we'd fight together, you know, like, so yeah, I mean, that, 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 there's always that, I mean, at least with us, with Madball, there's always that family and it's still there, even with the guys now, we can talk about all those things, you know, I mean, we're not, I'm not super, I'm a little more private, I'm not like a super public guy about stuff that I'm going through personally, you know, but we're honest people, you know, across the board. And I, I thank you for that honesty because I'm going to wrap it up now. But thank you yeah. for your time, man. Like, yeah, we've man. only just touched on everything we can talk oh, about. Oh, great. But I mean, fucking 30 years. How the fuck are we going to get that into an hour? Yeah, man. Uh, thanks again for your time. Hey, man. thanks it's for having me, My man. Pleasure, man. Pleasure. Really cool talking to you, bud. Pleasure. Thank All you. Right, thank you so much. They got the bombers, but they can't see.
Freddy for his time. What a charming man. Also, thank you to Angry Rat Club for sponsoring this week's podcast. Make sure you go check out their work by clicking on the link in this episode of this bio on your phone or via social media posts that we obviously put out uh, at Punks and Pubs on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, if you want to sponsor the podcast, you can do that completely for free. Just like Angry Rat Club, email punksandpubs at gmail.com. Uh, let me know that you want to sponsor the podcast and I'll explain how you go about doing that. Right. I'm off. Stay well. Go rate and review this podcast and I'll see you in a few weeks for episode 50 of this podcast. As always, if you go into a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up again. Till next time. Bye bye. Whoa, whoa, whoa.